This morning we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Knowing God through his names, titles, metaphors, and attributes. Currently we are going through the attributes of God's covenant name, Yahweh. So far we have uh, talked about some of the attributes of Yahweh as a supreme God who is compassionate, merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. But this morning, we will explore yet another attribute of Yahweh, that of love. In a message entitled, Yahweh is abounding in steadfast love. Yahweh is abounding in steadfast love. And that will come from Exodus chapter 34. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. We are going to read only two verses, five and six. And once you find it, uh, please stand to, and uh, please rise to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter five, chapter 34, sorry, verse five to six. The ESV says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that sense is the word of God. Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy and your goodness. We thank you for the wonderful many things that you have done in our lives. We are here because of your love and your mercy that you continue to show us even when we are unfaithful to you. We commit our time together in your presence, listening to your word. Our prayer is that you may open our spiritual understanding to comprehend what the Holy Spirit is saying to the body of Christ. And may we not be listeners or hearers only, but uh, doers of the word of God. We acknowledge your presence here, and may that be real for every one of us, because we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And somebody said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As a way of introduction, I would like to compare and contrast two words that sound similar and look alike, but have absolutely different meanings. The word abounding from our text and a similar word rebounding. For those of you that love the game of basketball, I'm sure the phrase, God is abounding in steadfast love, reminds you of a familiar word, rebound or rebounding. Rebounding is one of the most important phases of the game of basketball. It occurs when a player gains possession 
of the basketball after a missed field goal. Three-point field goal or free throw attempt. The basketball usually hits off the rim or the backboard before one of the players gets possession of it and is credited with the rebound. There are only two different kinds of rebounds in basketball, and they are called offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. In a nutshell, that is what is implied by rebounding in basketball. Whereas abounding refers to thriving, flourishing, overflowing, to have something in abundance, to be richly supplied. Therefore, to be abounding in steadfast love is to possess plenty of it, unwavering, unfaltering, and unfailing love. That's what the author of Exodus is referring to when he says God is abounding in steadfast love because he's thriving flourishing, overflowing in his supreme attributes of love. The Hebrew word love, transliterated hesed, means loving kindness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, and steadfast love, meaning Love that is firmly fixed in place. It is immovable, unstoppable, and not subject to change. The Greek equivalent agape implies giving out unconditional love. It refers to pure, willful, sacrificial, unconditional love that transcends all circumstances. It goes beyond emotions, seeking the best for others. So Yahweh, abounding in steadfast love, implies that God loves us with an everlasting, never-stopping, never ending, never giving up, unbreakable, unstoppable, unquenchable, thriving, flourishing, and unconditional forever love. That is the kind of love that God has for you and me. One Bible commentator says, quote, God isn't going to stop loving you, even if you stop loving him. He will go right on loving you. He is abounding, oozing, dripping with steadfast love for you. 
His love never ends. How comforting is it to know that God will always love you? You can't do anything to end that love or lose it. His steadfast love has more to do with him than with you. Because he can't deny himself his love. He's got so much love. And therefore he loves you. No matter what. The condition of your heart. The guilt and shame that you feel due to your sin. God's love for you is never going to change. Never. Because it's abounding. It is so immense, so vast, so thick, and steadfast. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 affirms, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God has loved us not because of our disposition in life, not because of where we come from or where we find ourselves in. He has loved us because he is love. He loves us unconditionally. No matter what we have done against him, he still loves us. A.W. Tozer said this about God's love, and I quote, God's love is measureless. It is more. It is boundless. It has no bounds because it is not a thing, but a facet of the essential nature of God. His love is something he is. And because he is infinite, love can envelop the whole created world in itself and have room for 10,000 times, 10,000 10, times, times 10,000 worlds beside it. A famous song in Sunday school, which might be very familiar to every one of us, goes like this. The love of Jesus and of God is so wonderful. It's so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. I remember singing that song in Sunday school years ago. And I think uh, we're still singing that song today, isn't it? The Apostle Paul says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You find that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Now, the measure of God's love is found at the cross. On the cross, Jesus shows us what God's steadfast love looks like. 
He gives himself for us as a ransom for our sin because he loves us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 10 affirms, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Since we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that means Jesus is no longer on the cross. Jesus is no longer in the grave. Or the tomb. Because it's empty. Guess what? He's risen. Not only is Jesus risen. He ascended to heaven. To his father. And once he got there, God glorified him. And that is a very important thing to happen in all the redemption story. And Jesus is glorified, is now Lord of Lords and King of Kings. All power and authority has been given to our Lord and Savior. And guess what? We are heirs with Christ and we are seated with Christ in power and authority. And that's why we can approach the throne of grace and ask for mercy from the Lord. When we pray, things happen. God answers our prayer because we are children of the most high God. Which brings us to our first question. I only got two questions as our points. How should we respond to the outpouring of God's love? How can we become more like our loving Father. We can respond first by accepting his love. The love gift of salvation. How do we do that? By trusting and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And continuing to live in him. Abiding in him. And in his love and loving others with the same love we ourselves have received from God. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
And here it comes. Are you ready for this? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, his love is made complete or made perfect in us, in and through us. Since God wants us to learn to grow toward loving him as much as he loves us. But this includes learning to love others. He expects our love to be abounding toward others, even as his love is abounding toward us. And like God's love, our love for others should always be abounding and not rebounding, as in our opening basketball illustration. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. But the question is, what does loving one another look like? What does loving one another look like? There is no better explanation of love than the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are going to read verses 1 to 8. Then the Bible says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain absolutely nothing. Verse 4. So what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Ladies and gentlemen, love never fails. It never fails. Therefore, since, let's examine our hearts in light of this love chapter. The question we should all be asking ourselves is, how do I measure up to this love chapter? Am I patient? Am I kind? 
Am I envious? Am I boastful? Am I proud? Do I dishonor others? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep a record of wrongs? Do I delight in evil? Do I rejoice in evil? I will let you answer that question in your heart before a holy and all-knowing God. The second question is how do we prove that we love God? How do we prove that we love God? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Loving God and keeping his commandments are two things that we are often linked, that are often linked in the Bible, in both the New and Old Testament. For example, Deuteronomy chapter number 10 Verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Remember, God is God even without you. So you're doing all this because of your own good. And then Jesus in the New Testament says in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus brings it down to love God and love your neighbor. That's all you need to do. John chapter 14, verse 15, 21 and 23 says, Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So if we claim to know God, he expects us to prove our love toward him by obeying his commandments. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. The question is, are we living up to these expectations? We claim to know God and we claim to love God. 
But Jesus said that if we don't obey his commandments by loving others and God, then we are not living up to his expectations for his disciples. Are we walking in obedience to his word? Are we living in light and not darkness? Are we? In closing, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him or her. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him or her. By this we know that we are in God. He who says he abides in God ought himself also to walk just as he walked. A story is told. An elderly man in Quebec was arrested for stealing bread and sent to the courts. The old man admitted his crime and confessed. And he explained his mistake as follows. I was so hungry. I almost starved to death. Then the judge ruled. The judge has ruled. You know you stole and I command you to pay $10 compensation. I know you can pay this money. So I will. Everyone was silent in the courtroom. The judge took $10 out of his pocket asked that it be taken to the treasury as compensation. He then stood up and addressed the people, asking for a love collection for the old man. $480 was collected in the courtroom, and the judge gave the collected money to the old man. Now, that is a good example of loving others, of treating others with compassion and kindness. That is a good example of loving your neighbor as yourself. Doing unto them as you would have them do to you. Brothers and sisters, Let's go home and do likewise. What's the signpost? The signpost is, what is God saying to you this morning? Where is he trying to get your attention? And where is God calling you to? Which family, which friend, which neighbor, 
Which homeless person? Which needy person is God calling you to go and bless? Remember to listen, trust, and obey. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. God, our eternal and immortal Father, we are grateful that in your compassion and grace, you act in love toward us, the undeserving. We thank you for being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Transform our selfish hearts of stone into compassionate, gracious, patient, and loving hearts so that we can treat others with love and compassion and kindness and doing unto them as you would have us do unto them. We thank you for this word. We ask that it may not return to the void, but accomplish the mission for which it was sent. As we come to the end of our service, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, because we have prayed in the mighty, worthy, marvelous name of Jesus. And somebody in the house said, Amen.